With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chalk Talk Podcast. This is part two of our season finale. Um, for those of you that are listening to these in order, uh, and in the first part you heard Mike and I talking about uh, a bunch of football stuff and some volleyball. Uh, we also were joined by a big group to do the buy-sell. Um, we actually have the, the rest of those guys back here tonight. I've got uh, Steve Fetch with me and then uh, KU Grad 08 uh, on the site. How are you guys doing tonight? Hey, good. How are you doing? All right, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Tonight we're going to be talking mostly basketball. Um, the first thing that I wanted to talk about, and this was something that had come up quite a bit back when Zvi um, had said that he was coming back for his senior year. Um, a lot of the conversation there was, oh, well, well, him coming back solidifies the lineup and pretty much guarantees that KU is going to be a number one seed in the next or in the NCAA tournament coming up this season. I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Is it is it one of those things that, barring a huge injury, that we're really expecting them to be a number one seed, or do you think that there's going to be enough fluff up at the top of the, uh, you know, the top of college basketball this year that that KU may not actually get there? Let's let's go ahead and start with you, Fetch. Yeah, I think they're. I mean, like you said, barring injury and stuff, and uh, I mean it's a long season and anything can happen, but um, I'm definitely expecting them uh, to be a one seed. Um, or at least, you know, heavily, heavily in the hunt. And if they don't get a one seed, it would be more because of a, a bad decision by the committee than anything that Kansas did. But you just look at, you know, they have star power with, with Graham, and, and I really think that uh, Azubuki is going to have a really good year. Um, and then, you know, all the depth that they have in the backcourt and on the wings. And, and, you know, obviously they don't have a ton of depth down low, but, um, I think, you know, the improvements that um, that Mitch Lightfoot probably made over the summer, and, and I mean, 
you got the other three guys with Azubuki and Preston and, and uh, Jack Whitman. Um, you know, four guys is, is probably enough. So when you look at the depth that you need to to go through a, an 18 game Big 12 season, and then obviously the non conference season, you know, they have that. Um, they have, you know, multiple guys who can win games kind of all by themselves with, you know, Graham and, you know, I think Malik Newman's going to have a really good year too. Um, I know uh, CJ Moore is really high on him and, um, I, you know, CJ is a pretty sharp guy, so I'll piggyback off that. And then, um, like I said, I think Azubuki is going to be, um, I'd be, I'd be pretty surprised if he's not first team all big fall this year. So when you add that together, I think they definitely are the, the runaway favorites for a one seed. Greg? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Um, I mean, it's not just uh, the returning talent, but I mean, just the the schedule as well. I mean, looking at it, I mean, the non-con isn't really as daunting as it has been in the past. Um, You know, some of the teams they've scheduled, some of the mid-majors they scheduled that, you know, it might have been a tough game a couple of years ago. You know, it looks like it could be a blowout this season. Um, You know, the the game against Syracuse, while that, you know, traditionally you think that'd be a tough game. Um, I'd be surprised if they dropped that one, even at the neutral site. So, you know, just kind of looking at their schedule, I'm just not sure, you know, how they're really going to pile up that many losses. I mean, they're, they're too deep. They're too experienced. Um, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, 2010, 2008 level of, you know, expecting a one seed or even as much as last year, but I would be pretty surprised if, you know, the team fell off the one seed line, you know, kind of like what you guys said, barring a major injury or two. They've got shooting. Um, they've got experience. Uh, the areas where they're not experienced, you know, mainly the post, uh, that's being compensated for with, uh, you know, really, really high recruits. Um, I, I, I like the way the team gels together. Um, you know, they, they've got dangerous, you know, dangerous guys in the post. They're, they're surrounded by shooters. You know, there's guys like um, – you know, a few breakout candidates. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Vic took a, a big step forward and, you know, became a really valuable player for him. Um, and not only that, you know, guys like Graham could, you know, Graham could shoot a lot better than he did last year. I mean, we've seen it from him in the past. He actually had kind of, a, you know, there were stretches last season where his, his shooting percentages were, were really low compared to what we had seen from him before. So um, I, I think the team as a whole, they have shooting everywhere. I mean, Newman should be a good shooter, you know, Vic and Speed, we kind of know what we have there. You know, even some of the post guys, you know, have the ability to kind of step out and hit shots. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the shooting's there, the, the size is there down low, there's enough experience. You know, you pair that with the schedule not appearing to be too daunting. And, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised if they had more than, you know, five or six total losses heading into the tournament and, and weren't a one seed. Yeah, I think I think my only concern there is um, I'm not sure in terms of you know the depth that we have. I, I know that we're a little bit deeper coming up this year. I think we're going to have probably about eight or nine instead of the six or seven um, that we were routinely playing. My only concern I think is is that I don't know that uh, Graham is going to be the kind of player that can play the kind of minutes that Mason did, um, but I do kind of anticipate that Bill is going to try to play him those that many minutes. Um, not having a guy like Wiggins that can go in there and uh, and kind of be the you know that linchpin as well um, could could potentially hurt us. But I, I think we're going to have more people in terms of rotation that can kind of help us 
I think, as more of a stabilizing factor. The thing that I'm not sure about is, um, you know, looking at elsewhere in college basketball, I think that North Carolina and Duke are probably going to be pretty good this year, both of them, and be fighting for a number one. Um, Kentucky is pretty much guaranteed to get a number one just because of all the high-level recruits that they have coming in. And, I mean, I know that they're going to have a lot of freshmen, and we've seen them kind of fizzle out before, but more often than not, they are probably one of the stronger teams in the country. Um, I, you know, I could see Gonzaga kind of carrying over coming off of a national title game. Um, even though they they lost a decent amount, they still have some, some really good pieces there. And the conference that they're in, I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, run the table in there again or, or come really close to it, getting themselves a number one. And then a team like Arizona um, or – you know, some, some team out of the Pac-12 could be challenging for a number one as well. So KU may be one of, you know, five or six teams that are legitimately challenging for a number one. And um, if they don't have that kind of star who breaks out that is a name, I could see, you know, the, the committee taking a look at that. Also, the other thing to kind of keep in mind is that this is supposed to be the year that they're taking the advanced stats more into account. Um, they're supposed to have that information available now in the committee room starting this year, I believe. And so KU has not really been as good in those advanced stats as some of the other teams. They, they always, you know, we actually talked about this with, with Jesse a couple weeks back, that Kansas will come in at, you know, seven or eight in Ken Palm, but get a number one seed because of all the teams that they've scheduled that look a lot better because their RPI shoots up at the end of the year. So I could see the introduction of those advanced stats as a more formalized, you know, part of the process of selecting the number one seeds as something that could potentially hurt KU uh, going into this year, especially since the schedule isn't going to be as daunting as we're used to seeing. So I, I have a little bit of concern there, but if it's, if it's coming down to the, the performance of the team determining that, I, I think that they're going to be able to perform well enough that, you know, it, it's, it's basically as guaranteed as it can get at this point in the year that they're going to be a good enough team to be on that one line. Well, don't forget about the ultimate wild card, too. If uh, Missouri's on the eight or nine line, you know, KU will be a one seed. Yeah, true, true. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> and if, you know, Mizzou is, uh, you know, bad enough that the highest they could probably get would be maybe around 10, KU might get bumped down to it, too. Right, right. They, we don't know if it's going to happen. That second, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, you know, they've done Wichita. They've done a bunch of other, you know, one and eight UNC. Uh, right, exactly. You know, they've, they've, they haven't done us any favors in terms of setting up in quote unquote interesting matchups. So yeah, if, if, if they get a chance with Missouri this year, I definitely see them trying to take, take advantage of that, especially since, you know, Michael Porter's going to be on there. It's going to be a big story for ratings and everything. As much as they say, they don't try to set up storylines. They, they, they definitely try to set up storylines. So. <laughs> yeah. When, when that Wichita state team was a seven C that was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> when most people thought they'd be like a four. So. Yeah, we've seen it before. That could be, I mean, an entire other podcast almost talking about how much that they've gotten screwed over. I mean, you know, at 10 last year. I mean, uh, yeah, the committee doesn't really do a lot of teams, a lot of favors. Um, it's about setting up interesting matchups, I think, a lot more than, than necessarily getting the bracket 100% right. So. Yeah, let's let's do that next time and also complain about KU getting screwed over too. Yeah, oh, 2007. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts, Fetch? Well, I guess I I think before we talk about the like advanced stats and stuff, I mean, I, I'd like to know how much they're gonna 
take into account. I mean, we're still talking about a bunch of, you know, 50, 60 year old dudes who probably aren't going to know True. what's going on with that and probably aren't going to want to just blindly follow uh, a thing like that. And, um, you know, like with, with the Wichita state thing, like obviously I'm, I'm the big Ken Palm person at the site, but, uh, when it comes to like NCAA tournament seating, uh, or, or getting in even like you, you gotta, you gotta beat some teams for me. I mean, I think that they, I don't think they really got screwed seed wise last year. I mean, schedule, schedule teams and beat them before you can make a case as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, you know, as that ties in with Kansas, this year's maybe not the year for that, but you know, you look at like a couple of years ago when they lost all those games, but still got a one seed because they played, you know, this ridiculous schedule and, and, you know, beat enough of those teams. Um, you know, if they do, if they do the same thing here where, yeah, they don't have maybe the toughest schedule, but they're still playing, you know, some okay teams to where like their, their strength of schedule mark on Ken Palm is going to be pretty good. Um, especially thanks to the conference schedule. Um, yeah, I think that's going to help them enough to to be a wanted. Yeah, I mean, I'm I, again, I'm not really necessarily too concerned about it happening. I just think there's going to be enough uncertainty with the the new things being debuted, and there's going to be enough other good teams around the country that maybe that's something that kind of hurts them. Uh, looking at those advanced stats, and again, we have no clue how the committee is going to start to incorpor- it start to incorporate those. Um, just kind of the fact that they're saying that they are, and those aren't necessarily as favorable. Kansas compared to some of the other one teams in the past um, that that may potentially be a hit but all right let's 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 go ahead and move on to our next topic here um, and this is actually something that uh, that kind of got thrown in well almost ha- had to be thrown in given all of the uh, surprising uh, mentions that it got when it first debuted uh, Jack Whitman um, we, we got the first official photo of Jack Whitman and it is now actually the avatar for the rock talk top talk uh, Twitter account um, him with that glorious mustache of his. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure how how else to describe it other than the fact that it is glorious. And we were we were sitting around trying to figure out, you know, who in the past has had facial hair that has been as as great as that. Um, which it's it's kind of a weird thing I think to to kind of talk about, but for some reason it just feels right to be talking about a basketball player's facial hair. So I'm going to go ahead and turn this over to you guys. And actually, Grad, I'll I'll go ahead and start with you. Can you think of anybody in KU's history who has had a facial hair game as good as Jack Whitman is, is shaping up to be so far? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm trying to think, you know, like going way back, I know, I know Wilt had a, had a stash at times when he was at KU, but I don't think he had that. Remember like Will Tremblay, he had that like really wild goatee like later in his playing days. And then after he retired, uh, I know the video of him coming back and, you know, giving the speech and now in field house, when he retired his Jersey, like the goatee looks like it hasn't been like, you know, trimmed at all in like 30 years. I mean, the thing was just outrageous. I know he had that a bit in his playing days. I think that was more NBA. Um, I mean, just thinking, I, I know, I mean, a lot of our guys had, have had some beards. I mean, Mason had one last year. Um, I, I thought his beard and kind of like shaved on the side combo was, was, was pretty cool. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think who else there was. I know that the twins had, uh, you know, the goatees and kind of some spotty beard that was trying to connect to the goatee, but wasn't quite making it there. Um, Sharon had a beard as well, but 
I don't know. I know. I mean, I, in my basement, I've got a uh, 1988 um, champions uh, poster, and I'm sure there's a couple guys on there that have really, really awful facial hair just because it was the late 80s. But, um, you know, I don't really know players from that era as well. So, I, I mean, I can't really think of anyone who just trotted out there with a ridiculous, you know, Captain Hook look like Whitman apparently is doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I, for some reason I had it in my mind that, that Alderich at the beginning of the season had a pretty, pretty strange looking mustache for like three games before he shaved it off. But I, I can't remember which year it would have been, and I may not even be remembering that correctly. But, uh, uh, Fetch, did you uh, have a chance to find anyone that you thought would uh, even come close to Whitman at this point? Yeah, well, so first things first, my uh, my KU fandom goes back to uh, Jeff Boshi's freshman season, which was, uh, I think, 98-99. So any, any before then, uh, if I don't remember them, uh, you can't hold me responsible. So uh, that being said, uh, the first guy that, that sprung to mind was uh, before that time, uh, and it's Scott Pollard. Um, he didn't have, I guess, facial hair per se, but I found a picture of him and I can maybe like tweet it out here. Uh, he's got some pretty nice, uh, sideburns going. Um, they're like mutton shop length, but they don't have the, you know, they don't have the bushiness. Uh, so I'm going to count that. Uh, and then the other one that I found, uh, speaking of glorious mustaches, uh, Brad Sanders, who played, uh, for Kansas. Uh, back in the late seventies, um, and if you if you remember uh, the Kansas versus Stanford game this year, he is the dad of uh, Stanford point guard Christian Sanders, and uh, they cut to him in the stands about five thousand times. Um, he has a, a pretty Jack Whitman esque mustache going on, quite the flavor saver. So those those are the two. Uh, that I was able to find. Um, but I can't really think anyone from the current uh, era or, or since I even really started following the team. Um, you know, I, the Morris Twins now have pretty huge beards that I think would probably qualify, um, although they're more, you know, just like good-looking versus wacky. But they had more of a goatee look at Kansas. Um you know, like Joel Embiid is, is kind of wild, and obviously his hair kind of plays into that too, more so than, than just his facial hair, but he was a little bit more buttoned up at, at Kansas. So uh, I can't really think of anyone other than those two, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I just found someone. Tony Tony Guy, Tony Guy, 1980, for my Google search just did. He's got a pretty awesome uh, stash and soul patch combo. That that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I think what we're gonna have to do is have to turn this into a post, you know, so we can kind of show these pictures to people and and kind of let them take a look for themselves. Maybe we can throw a poll in there or something and uh, can can kind of figure. Perry Ellis, you want to keep scared for a while? Who? Perry Ellis. Yeah, you know that was the other one that I kind of thought of was uh, Perry Ellis, but I didn't I didn't think to even actually say anything. I mean, it wasn't anything crazy and it wasn't like unconventional or that would really stand out, but you know. Once, once, once you say, I immediately, you know, flashback. I mean, it was, it was kind of the, the classy look, um, which is, which is nice to have, but it doesn't really, you know, imprint on your mind very much the way it was set up. So it made him look even older, which well, right, how was possible. <laughs> right. If, if, if I remember right, he didn't have it when he first came, and then he, he grew it out for his junior and senior year, if I remember correctly, uh, which of course right. made it seem like he had been there for a good twenty years. 
I certainly think uh, the move is to to look for people in like the probably the like what late sixties to mid seventies. Yeah, I was gonna say either then or like the mid eighties would probably be another good good time frame to kind of look. So I just know that all the roles of my parents, all the people before then, are gonna be way too like clean cut and buttoned up. Right. And stuff. You know, I, I just I just remember right around you know the mid eighties there, uh, all the old family pictures. There was a bunch of old relatives that had some really strange facial hair. So mid eighties is probably a good a good time frame to look to. All right. Well, we'll we'll kind of go ahead and leave it there. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back and we'll, uh, we'll we'll get into some further basketball topics. So we will be right back on the Rock Talk Talk podcast. And we're back. I am. Uh, this is Andy Mitz again. I am joined by Steve Fetch and KU Grad 08. Uh, it's actually Grad's first appearance here on this uh, re- rebooted version of the podcast. Uh, we are going to go ahead and jump in to the hot take hyperbole canon for the day. Um, we actually have Grad here this time. He can actually give us the hot take on his own rather than me reading it off a piece of paper. So, Grad, I mm. will uh, go ahead and turn the time over to you. What is your hot take for the day? Oh, I don't remember the actual... Uh official phrasing I put into it, but basically I just, I I wanted to complain about Brady Morningstar. And I think that Kansas would have won um, at least one national title, um, possibly more if self had not played him like ever, like never let him play. Uh, Well, uh, you said Brady Morningstar is the most overrated player in KU history. Self's obsession with playing him over better players, such as Relaford, Little, et cetera, directly cost KU a title in 2011. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Do you want to expand any more on that? I mean, I, 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 I kind of remember that one, uh, that year. Is there? I mean, is there? Is there? Is there like actual? I mean, do you, do you think people like disagree with that? Like, is there a debate to it? Or, I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to think in terms of Morningstar. I didn't think he had a huge role, like a huge outsized role on that team. I think some of the guys you're talking about in Relaford and Little were, I mean, the, the game and the, the skills that they brought were a little bit different than what they were looking for from Morningstar. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that Relaford, well, especially Little, was a better three-point shooter than Morningstar. And that was kind of the role that he was in there for was to be a three-pointer. Now, maybe I'm not remembering how that team was set up correctly or what he ended up doing in the tournament with him. But, you know, I, I always kind of – Yeah, I mean, as a, I mean, we used Little – On a team where we didn't have yeah. a lot of three-point shooters. Well, I mean, the the first problem I have with with him playing in general was, you know, we there there were guys with more natural talent, you know, sitting there on the bench. I mean, what 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 happens when, you know, self just for some reason refuses to play Relaford, you know, refuses to play him. Relaford is a you know, very high four star recruit, you know, from KC, and was actually when we signed him in that class. You know, most people are like, oh, wow, like this, this could be the gem of the class. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, w- what happens when we finally let Travis Relaford play? He shoots, you know, his senior year, and, and I looked this up a while back. That's the only reason why I have these random <laughs> tests memorized. Um, you know, senior year, the guy shoots literally like 66% from two. 
um, you know, 40, I think it was like 43% from three. When's the last time we had a guard, you know, role player or not, shoot like that? And and he's doing that playing with, you know, point guard, you know, playing with Elijah Johnson. So it's not like he had some all-world point guard, you know, setting him up for easy baskets. I mean, no disrespect to Elijah. But, I mean, we we saw there what happens when this guy who's sitting on the bench with all this talent, you finally let him play because, you know, self had no other option. I mean, when we lost all those guys, it was basically like, okay, you know, I guess I'll start Relaford now because I literally have no one else I can play here. And we, we started letting him play, and the guy gets better and better. And all of a sudden, by his senior year, you know, in the tournament, he's scoring over 20 points against North Carolina. Um, you know, you, you want to talk about defense. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, relative, or, or sorry, you know, Morningstar was this great role player, and he was so good defensively. Who, who was a better defender than Travis Relaford when he played? Like, seriously, name one guy on our team who was a better perimeter defender than Relaford. I mean, Rush may be in the conversation, um, I, but, I mean, there's no one else. And it's just one of those things that, you know, sometimes you have to identify that this guy has the higher ceiling and, and play him, and, and I don't feel like that happened in this case. So so what, what happened in the end? You know, we, we kept trotting him out there. We play VCU. The guy shoots like 0 for 10 from 3. Um, you know, his vaulted defense doesn't really stop any of their guys from – scoring and we lose to freaking VCU. So yes, I'm still bitter about it. Just a little. Yeah, just a little bit. Fetch, you wanna you wanna jump in with your thoughts before I jump back in? Fetch uh you know, he uh he might have convinced me here a little bit. I was just looking at you know, my, my first blush was uh you know, no F and way, but uh he might have convinced me. Um I'm a big Relaford fan. Uh I do think it's weird that, you know, he redshirted and then still didn't really play. Um, his his minutes jumped from 20% of the of the minutes for the season his sophomore year uh, all the way up to 77% the next year. Um, Just to clarify, you were talking about Relaford here or Morningstar? Yeah, Relaford. Okay, sorry. No. Yeah, sorry. I mean, and like he he probably did not get that much better or you know better at all. Um, just even if you look at like his Ken Palm comparables, it's like Danny Green and like, you know, Jamal Franklin and DeAndre Liggins and like guys who are in the NBA and like really good basketball players. Whereas, I mean, Brady Morningstars are, uh, I mean, not to, to put it mildly. Um, although, he has, I mean, he has a couple, it's like, you know, he has like Daniel Gibson and stuff, but most of them are like Will Spradling and, you know, guys like that who are, you know, fine college players, but not in the same class as, you know, the guys that Rolliford's compared to. But um, I don't know that I that I think Morningstar should have played less. I mean, he had a good year numbers-wise, uh, 41% from three, uh, 57% from two. Uh, probably turned it over a little bit too much considering he wasn't like a main ball handler on the team. Um, you know, was fine defensively, obviously not as good as Relaford ended up being, but at the same time, I have no idea what kind of defense Relaford was playing in practice. Uh, so it's kind of unfair to, to do that, I think. But, um, I, I think more than saying Morningstar shouldn't have played as much. I think it's Relaford probably should have played more on that team. Um, obviously the issue becomes, 
you know, who played less because, you know, Morningstar and Reed both played pretty well. Tyshawn was on the team. Uh, he had a really good year. Um, you, as bad as Josh Selby was, you're probably not going to not play the number one recruit, uh, especially because that was, you know, the first time Self had gotten one at Kansas. So uh, probably more of a numbers game than anything else. But but I will say that, yeah, if, if Relaford had, had played a little bit more, uh, who knows, maybe, maybe Kansas does have that title in 2011. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at. I don't think that Morningstar was the problem. Um, it just, I mean, like, I, I don't think it, anyone here is saying that Morningstar was, you know, a huge star on the team or anything like that at that point. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't get the, the word choice of overrated. Maybe he was overutilized a little bit by Self. Um, but, you know, the other thing we have to remember is that Bill Self has always been a guy that, you know, sticks or is loyal to his, his long-term players unless there's a guy that is clearly 100% in both practice and in game situations better than the guy who's already there. Um, you know, we've, we've seen that time and time again. You know, Embiid only, only got to start playing over uh, Tariq Black because Embiid was clearly that much better than him. Uh, you know, we've seen uh, Cliff, Cliff Alexander was a good example of a guy that came in with had a lot of potential but wasn't able to actually displace someone who was already there. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of – you know, Bill Self's MO, and, and it usually works out. I, I think this may have been a case where you're right, that Relaford should have played more. Um, but Relaford, I think, is the only kind of example of a player on that team that would have had his minutes taken up by a guy like Morningstar. Little, I don't think that they would have been comparable enough to really say that, well, you know, minutes that Morningstar is in is, is minutes that Little has to be out or, or something to that effect. Um, so, I mean, really, I, I think that, that Fetch is right here, that the the gripe with that team would have been that Self didn't find a way to get Relaford in more, um, as opposed to saying that he played Morningstar too much. I think Morningstar played a very vital role for that team. Um, and I don't think anybody was considering him to be, you know, one of the stars of the team. He was kind of the only consistent three-point shooter we had going into the year, if, if, if I remember correctly. And so it was kind of just a, a natural, of course, he's going to be playing. He's going to be a starter. He's going to be kind of that main three-point guy because he's the only one we had coming in. And until somebody can, can light it up and, and kind of prove that they can take that spot from him, he was going to go ahead and keep it. So, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know that it was Bill Self having an obsession with that. I think that's kind of the way he's always operated his teams, and we've just never really had a, a, a guy who then immediately, once, once, you know, the guy before him was out of the way, that immediately just went off like Relaford did. Um, I think that's more a testament to Relaford individually than anything wrong with the team or anything wrong with Morningstar himself. Well, I mean, again, though, the, an, an issue I have is, you know, it's kind of what you mentioned earlier, is that often, you know, self will opt for the the guy with the, you know, a lower ceiling but a higher floor. And, and, and you know, and I thought that was a clear a clear example here where it's like, okay, you know, Morningstar is solid. Uh, you know, he's a pretty good three-point shooter. Um you know, knows his role. He'll be in the right position defensively. But, you know, you got this guy sitting there on your bench who's like, you know, 6'5", just freakishly athletic, you know. And, and, and we would we would see – we'd put him in sometimes for, you know, you'd see glimpses of him. And, uh, I mean, Fetch, you might have the stats in front of you uh, looking him up. I mean, it's not like his numbers, you know, his sophomore year or so were, were terrible. 
I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure when he actually got on the floor, he was still shooting at a pretty high percentage. Um, you know, I, I do remember he had some bad turnovers here and there. I mean, his his ball. I'm gonna, uh, sorry, Dom, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here and interrupt here real quick. You're right. He was uh, 38% from three and 61% from two. Uh, but I mean, it's like you know, we're talking like 80 total shots. So right, right. What was right, right? Right. Great. Because um, if you remember kind of having that conversation because it was a very similar conversation to what we had with with uh, Cliff Alexander, um, saying that well, you know, we saw him in very limited minutes. Can those sorts of you know, good shooting percentages translate when he takes a bigger role. And obviously it did the next year that he kept it up and taking on a much larger role. And that kind of made everybody, you know, in hindsight say, well, maybe he should have been playing more. But I think it's real dangerous to kind of say, you know, this particular player should be playing more based off of that small sample size. And we don't get to see these guys in practice. We don't see what self sees or how he's trying to put his team together, you know, or how the, uh, the chemistry of the team is working. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that doesn't make necessarily sense to us because we see only the snippets in the games. Um, you know, so it's, it's it's hard to really fault self, I think, especially when he's, he's made a similar sort of call in a lot of situations and it actually ended up turning out okay or turning out better. Um, I, I think there's clearly a case where it didn't work out for him the way that we thought it should have. And we probably could have gone further in that tournament if Relaford had played a bigger role. But it's kind of hard to fault that on Morningstar. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody kind of holds Morningstar in this high esteem as one of the great, you know, KU greats. He's, he was a good role player and came in and played a vital role on a team where we didn't have a lot of three-point shooters. You know, I, I don't see anybody kind of holding him up to a higher standard than I think is fair for him. One thing, one thing I do think about uh, the whole ceiling floor thing. Um, I think with a team like that, you know, with the Morris twins who were both, you know, absolute superstars in college, um, you know, really two of the best players that Self has had. Uh, you know, Thomas Robinson came off the bench and had a really good year. Uh, Tyshawn had a really good year. Um, with all of that star power, uh, I really do think that, you know, in some sense, taking a guy who, um, and obviously, you know, we know now that Travis Relford was more of a, like a steady role player than any kind of superstar, but um, having a guy that, you know, you kind of know what you're going to get out of, you know, Reed and Morningstar, um, I think that that's probably more of a, more of a good idea than a guy where, yeah, he might give you, you know, 20 points some night, but he also might disappear some other night too. And and I think, you know, there's there's a lot of things to be said about uh, Morningstar and, and Reed being seniors too. Yeah, I mean, we, we have definitely seen Self in the past kind of rely on his seniors to be the building blocks of his teams. And so with a guy like Reed and Morningstar being those seniors and, you know, giving him that, that starting point, uh, I'm not really surprised that, Morningstar played a, probably a bigger role on that team than he than he maybe should have based just on his talent compared to some of the other players. Um, but there there is definitely something to to be said for you know consistency. I mean, imagine imagine if you know we thought that Graham should have taken the leadership role over Mason this year. We would not have seen the the huge uh, effort from him and the, the national player of the year candidate and, and all of that. If Graham was the guy that, that took over the team, I mean, obviously you don't always necessarily want to have 
your senior lead or your your seniors be the leaders if they don't have that quality or they don't have the the talent to be able to back it up. But there is definitely something to be said for a team, you know, identifying with its seniors and taking or allowing those seniors to kind of take the burden of the team on their shoulders and run with it in that case. I mean, Morningstar being a senior there definitely, I think, helped to to increase his role in that particular team. Um, Again, maybe, maybe to the point where, you know, it, it kept some other talents not being able to get to their full potential. But that's kind of been the MO, not only for self, but for most college basketball coaches, you know, the seniors typically take on leadership roles in the team to some extent. So uh, again, it's not something I think I have a huge problem with. And, and I think that I, I definitely can't agree with your hot take here because I think it puts a little too much on Morningstar himself as if it's something that he is, you know, he, he has done himself or people are holding him to be too, too, uh, well, too be- too much of a, a good player more than he actually is. So. Any other thoughts on that guy? Well, I mean, Oh, I think I think you know the the final thing I'll say is you know I I think it's it's part of a larger debate which is should self gamble a little bit more um, with kind of you know guys that might be a little lesser known lesser developed you know inexperienced that could potentially have a higher ceiling. I mean I know you know when Kentucky made the Final Four or actually the the championship game I think they were they were what like a seven seed or eight seed uh, a couple of years ago. Everyone was like, oh, my God, you know, where did this Kentucky team come from? And I'm like, this isn't surprising. I mean, it's, he's, got, he's got a bunch of five-star guys, um, and they're like, well, they lost, you know, 10 games in the non-con. And it's like, yeah, but when you have talent, and, you know, talent is only going to get better. And, you know, we've seen where, you know, that, that, that year, and like I said, what I'm bitter about, and I'll be bitter about it forever, is that was the worst Final Four ever. It, it literally was the worst Final Four ever, in, in, in probably the history of, of the tournament. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable saying that. And you know, we have a one seed, and we get basically, you know, sunk because our guards couldn't make insanely wide open shots the whole time. And so, of course, you know, that's feeling my bitterness, my hot take. But you know, it kind of goes back to you, you know, you have these guys that you know, yeah, the the ceiling's not as high, the floor's a little bit higher, they're experienced, they're known, but, you know, I mean, what Calipari does, I mean, people always say, oh, he's not a good coach, or blah, blah, blah. I mean, he is, and he knows what he's doing. And, you know, he gets these guys that, you know, that they may be really, some of them a lot of times might be really raw, um, you know, like the the center they had last year, Bam, uh, can't remember his last name. But, you know, he, he, he throws these guys out there and, and, and just says, you know, that they've got the athleticism, they've got the size, they have the tangibles, they're going to get better as they play. And, you know, who knows, you know, maybe maybe that's something that self needs to do a little bit more of every now and then. Um, you know, not so much to keep guys around. I mean, there, there haven't really been many transfers we've lost that we've regretted. But, you know, in, in that case, I, I don't think it was a surprise that, you know, when when these guys all of a sudden these, these talented players we have actually start getting minutes and people are like wow this guy's really good you know where'd he come from it's you know kind of what Fetch said earlier uh, how much of that you know how how much better did he get you know year to year or how much of it is just that you know the guy finally got some playing time and in the case of someone like Relaford I mean you could noticeably see him get better and more comfortable and especially with his outside shot you know his, his three-point shot went for being erratic and 
you know, when he finally got to start playing and getting minutes, it got consistent. We saw that with, you know, guys like Brandon Green, who when they finally start getting some regular playing time, you know, they, they got their shot down and, and whatnot. So, you know, I, I think, and that could be a debate for another time, but, you know, I, I understand the strategy. I, I, I get that there's times that you need to be conservative, but, you know, maybe there's times that self does need to kind of roll the dice a little bit more and, and, and play some younger guys that might have a higher upside so we can cash in more, uh, you know, when March comes rolling along. Any other thoughts, Fetch? Well, I, I mean, I think the uh, the whole thing about, you know, maybe self needs to to bring guys along more quickly or whatever, um, or, or just throw guys out there and let them play. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that works a little bit better in the SEC than in the Big 12. Right. Um and obviously, you know, self kind of guns for the for the number one seed a little bit more than uh, you know maybe a Calipari does. Um, and I, I mean, I don't think it's really hurt him that much either. I mean, you look at some of these guys that Kentucky has pulled in, who you know have not developed at all, and and who have kind of you know been hurt by you know I don't know if they've been hurt by getting thrown out into the fire too early or whatever, but. Uh, you know, I, I also think you could you could maybe complain about Calipari playing some guys who he shouldn't be. I mean, you look at the 2015, um, he probably lost that title by playing the Harrison Twins as much as he did rather than playing uh, Tyler Ulis and, and Devin Booker. Um, and you look at, you know, like, I mean, Dakari Johnson came in and, and didn't do anything, or, you know, Isaiah Bristow came in and didn't really do anything, and uh, so, I mean, I, you know, I just think it's, you know, we kind of look at it as like a grass is greener thing and, and we pay attention to the guys who develop or don't develop just because we follow the program as closely as we do. So um, I think that's it more than anything else as far as uh, as far as that goes. So um, and again, you know, the other thing that I that I mentioned earlier, too, is, um, you know, self sees these guys in practice and, and we don't and. Um, whether he he should take that as much into account as he does is maybe another thing. But um, given the talent that Kansas has in practice every day, um, I'm, I'm comfortable using that sample size versus the sample size of you know five ten minute slices when these guys get into games. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty fair assessment. I also would say that they pro- that self probably has actually kind of trended a little bit more towards playing. The younger guys. I mean, Embiid was the guy that that started playing, you know, immediately when he started to show flashes in practice, and then in the games, and he took off. Now, obviously, he's a special talent who was completely underdeveloped when he got here. But that's, I mean, those those are the kind of guys, you know, and the kind of situations where you can see whether he's willing to just kind of put a guy out there. Um, you know, I mean, we had a, a pretty highly regarded transfer from Memphis in Tariq Black. Uh, who was in the starting lineup, but immediately once it became apparent that, that Embiid was, you know, developing at such a rapid pace, he pretty much took over the starting position there and then ran with it. Um, you know, so, I mean, uh, it, it's it's really hard to come into a situation like this and, and second-guess not knowing as much about the guys that are on the roster. Um, you know, we've seen indicate, or instances where he has been able to kind of put um, – to put that philosophy into play a little bit more. But a lot of that really just depends. You have to have a guy who is able to step up that quickly, and you have to have a bunch of other guys that are willing to – or that are able to take that uh, that change the proper way. And there's I, – I mean, there's just a lot more that goes into it than I think that we're, 
we're, we're thinking here. It's not as simple of as, or it's, it's not as simple as, well, this guy probably has more talent, so he should be playing. There's a lot of other considerations to take into account there. You know, whether he's able to utilize that talent effectively over a longer period of time, um, whether he's ready to take on that bigger role. There's just, uh, you know, there's a lot of other things that kind of go along with it. So I'm, I'm comfortable saying that I think Bill Self knows what he's doing enough that, you know, I'm not really going to second guess him a lot. We obviously have our own opinions based off of what we see in the game. But, you know, as, as Fetch was saying, there's a lot that goes on in practice that we don't get to see that I'm sure if we got to see it may, might, in a lot of cases, you know, give us different ideas about what should be happening if, if we got to see everything that went on in practice. So, All right, any other thoughts about that, guys? I'm going to come up with a hotter take next time. Yes. Yeah, you know, we need, we need something to give us a bang uh, at the, at the uh, season premiere <laughs> that's coming up in August. So um, maybe, maybe we can get you to come up with something football-related, too, since we'll be coming up pretty close to the uh, – the football season at that point. So, bowl game, book it. <laughs> exactly. Now wait a minute. I'm I'm already on record with that prediction, saying that they'll be at multiple bowl games in the next five years. So, next year's a good time. Oh to yeah, play, right. Easy, easy prediction. I mean, it's almost as easy as you know saying that Tyshawn shouldn't have dumped. I mean, it's just it's clear. Exactly. <laughs> oh, but but Jesse Newell already said you guys were wrong. All right. Well, any uh, final thoughts from you guys before we wrap up for the night? Should have played Relaford. Yeah, I have one. Uh, I, I, uh, I've gotten to talk uh, CFL and college hockey the last uh, two uh, podcasts. So, so tonight it's cricket. Uh, just a uh, quick cricket 2017 update. Uh, currently, the Women's World Cup is going on. Uh, they're still in the group stage. Uh, the finals are, uh, I believe, the end of July. Uh, and also, uh, in September, is the 2017 World Cricket League 5th Division Playoffs, which is, like, the really terrible countries. So it's like, I mean, if, if you guys are soccer fans and, and you watch, you know, like the, the minnows of world soccer play, it's, it's kind of the same uh, type of thing. And I've obviously never seen any of them play. but uh, the teams in the running uh, for promotion into the fourth division are Jersey, which is like an in, in English colony north of Spain, uh, Guernsey, which is also an English colony like north of Spain, Italy, Vanuatu, Cayman Islands, Ghana, Qatar, and Germany. So it should be a great time uh, if you can. Uh, it's in South Africa, so buy your tickets now. Uh, and that's my cricket talk for the week. Nice. Well, you know, we'll be coming back just in time to uh, to kind of get a recap from you. From uh, how, yeah, I think I think that's good. I think I'd like to officially campaign for like we'll, we'll call it the cricket minute, just so it rhymes. Uh, I know I go long basically every time I talk, but I'll try and keep it to a minute <laughs> per podcast uh, of cricket talk. Yeah, can't can't have too much cricket talk, right? All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me, um, and and thank you guys. The, the listeners for for joining us on our season finale here um we are going to be taking a break through the month of july um probably coming back in the first or second week of august uh we've got a lot of stuff going on for the uh well for for me personally and then for a lot of our guests so it's a good time to take a break we'll come back in august and uh get you ready for football start start talking about that because preseason will be ramping up there 
So um, once again, thanks for listening, and we will see you guys next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.